out the conference. I'm going to try to get going here in just a second, but I think about six Sister Roxy, Sister Jean, Brother Tony, and a host of other people in this church that have worked hard, and in particular, Brother Ron and Sister Paula, Amen. that have decided that they were going to open their church to all of us strangers. Brother John, you said something in your message. And you talked about the fact that there was a certain time when Jesus was ministering to a large crowd and he did some magnificent healings. One of the things he did was he healed the maimed and that's always stood out for me, brother, just like you. I would love to have been there. I would have loved to have seen an arm regrow or a finger or maybe somebody, you know, back in those days, they didn't have all of the benefits of modern medicine that we have and plus they did a lot of dangerous work and I bet there were some people that were missing fingers and other things and he healed them Amen. brother they grew back <coughs> we serve a great God Amen. one of the things you said that ministered to me was the fact that he had ministered to them for three days for three days in the presence of the master the greatest teacher of all time Amen. they sat under him and listened to him preach and faith began to grow in that congregation of people and so when we come together into a, a meeting like this and all of the workers have have done all that they've done to, to make it so that we can be together day after day after day one of the things that happens is our, that saturation comes. That saturation of the Holy Spirit. We started with Brother Jack Bergeron, but again we hear preacher after preacher exhorting us, teaching us the Word. All of a sudden the faith begins to grow. So today, even though I'm, fo I'm following Pastor Charlie, <laughs> I can feel that the flow of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen. And so today... I, I hope that this will this message will mean something to you. But I want you to know it's the Holy Ghost. If it does. I'm so glad that Brother Charlie was plowing the ground ahead of me last night. You guys want would like to, and I Sister Roxy, I don't know how you're gonna handle this. She's got my outline. One of the reasons I wanted to have an outline is I wanted you to know there's an end. <laughs> <laughs> And I want to talk to you about Isaiah 30. And if you want to turn there, please do. We're going to be looking at several of the scriptures from that chapter. The way that I teach and preach is different from Brother Charlie and from all of the rest of the pastors here and evangelists. And I just want to explain to you, I grew up in a, I didn't exactly grow up in a garage, but most of my formative years were spent in a garage. I had two uncles, they were in a partnership, and they worked on all kinds of stuff. We were very poor, and my uncle, he took me on as a shop helper. I went and got wrenches for him, I cleaned up after the work was done, all that kind of stuff. But one of the things that happened in that shop was, I, I developed an intense desire to know what things were and how they worked. Ever since then, I've approached things the same way. 
when I was a pilot in the Navy, I knew my airplane backwards and forwards. I knew it well. If there was information published on that airplane, I knew it. And today, as we begin to talk about Isaiah 30, we're going to open up the hood on Isaiah 30, and I'm going to, we're going to crawl in there, and we're going to try to figure out what we can learn about God and His ways. There's some things that, that greatly interest me. I'm, I'm extremely interested in understanding a few particular things about, about God's kingdom. You know, Brother John talked about getting on that little black horse. It didn't look like it was too much, right? But that horse, horse had a tendency when it didn't want to do something, it would just throw the rider off. Well, I want to tell you something that I feel the same way about this pulpit. Every once in a while, I'm probably going to get thrown off. I'm just not used to talking in front of a big crowd. And if I get thrown off, the only thing I can promise you is I'm going to come and get right back on. <laughs> so if I lose my, my place here this morning, or if it takes me, if you look at me and you go, you think he's lost. I am. <laughs> but just hold on. I'll get back on that little black horse and we'll ride some more. All right. Isaiah was one of several prophets who over many years repeatedly warned the kingdom of Judah of coming judgment. Isaiah 30 is one example of these decades-long warnings. In it, we can sense the severe apostasy which grips what should have been a nation devoted to God and who in faith kept his written law. Our conference focus text is this is the way, walk in it. And it's found in verse 21. To me, chapter 30 has four parts. Scathing rebuke, a call to cease and desist, a call to repentance, and promise blessings for obedience. Let's start with point one, which is scathing rebuke. It was a time of rebellion. Judah was characterized as rebellious children. Verse one starts with a phrase, woe to the rebellious children. Verse nine states, this is a rebellious people. Lying children. Children who will not hear the law of the Lord. Children used in this sense was not meant affectionately, but instead to highlight Judah's immaturity and lack of control. We live in a time of rebellion. Yeah. Right? Amen. Is that not true? Can I tell you one of the things that if there was no other reason for Denise and I to come to this conference, it would be to submit to our church leadership, to our association leadership. I want our leadership here to see Denise and I. I want them to talk to us. I want them to hear us preach or teach or do anything that the leadership here wants us to do. And I want them to know that we're submitted to them. Amen. And if they say, to do something, we're going to do it. And if they say to stop doing something, we're going to do it. Amen. We don't want to be rebellious. Yes. Rebellion 
is what we see in the world and we don't want to see in the church. There's a whole teaching in that and I just I just want to hope and pray that my pastors, Denise and I, our pastors, always felt that we supported them and that we were obedient to them. And I pray that our congregation will be to us. Because as pastors, we want the best for them. I've got enough business keeping myself under control. I don't need to be telling anybody else what to do. So I, I don't want to. And if I have to say something to somebody, it's because I really think they're getting off the path. And I want them to stay centered up. And our goal as Christians is what Jesus Christ prayed for us, is that we would be one. And to do that, we've got to be under authority, really. And we've got to be willing to hear the wisdom of those that God has placed over us. Okay, I'm off of that. So, it was a time of rebellion. Point B is it was a time of willful ignorance. There was active resistance to the wisdom of the seers and the warnings of the prophets. Seers in my understanding of this scripture, are the wise men. They are you. That's who you guys are. You guys that have been in the faith all of these years. God has given you wisdom, both men and women. First one says about Judah, this is talking about Judah, who take counsel, but not of me, and who devise plans, but not of my spirit. Verse 10 says, who say to the seers, who say to the pastors, who say to the evangelists, who say to the Sunday school teachers, do not see. And to the prophets, do not prophesy to us right things. Judah wanted to conduct their lives without God's input. They wanted to live like the sinful nations around them. They did not want to be set apart and different. They did not want to be consecrated, holy people keeping God's commandments by faith. It was a time of willful ignorance. Do we live in a time of willful ignorance? It was a time of willful sin. Their sins, especially idolatry, were intentional. They did not care if their actions were offensive to God. By their words and actions, they showed their hearts had rejected Him. Verse 11 says, Get out of the way. Turn aside from the path. Cause the Holy One of Israel to cease from before us. This was rejection on an unprecedented level. They were saying we don't want to encounter God in any area of our lives. Is that not what our society says today? Verse 1 finishes with the particularly painful phrase that they may add sin to sin. Point 2. A call to stop and desist. 
This was a time in which Judah actively sought protection and help from ungodly nations rather than depend upon God. Verse 6 says, They will carry their riches on the backs of young donkeys and their treasures on the humps of camels to a people who shall not profit. For the Egyptians shall help in vain and to no purpose. Finally, the storm clouds are showing on the horizon in Judah. The prophets have been speaking for years to Judah, Isaiah, Jeremiah, and others. And they've been saying, listen, a time of judgment is approaching. And finally, the, the things are, even the leaders of Judah, in their ungodly ways, but they all of a sudden they see things are starting to to coalesce in a way that indicates we are in deep trouble. But instead of turning to God, where did they go? They went to Egypt. Egypt has always represented the world and its idolatry. Judah was seeking worldly help and was willing to spend its wealth on earthly alliances rather than depend on an unseen God. Verse 15 says, For thus says the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, In returning and rest you shall be saved. In quietness and confidence shall be your strength. But you would not. God demands that they stop their self-help and turn back to Him. And unbelievably, he wants them to do the thing that is opposite to our human instinct. Instead of searching frantically for earthly help, he says, stop and be still. Trust in me. He promises in returning and rest, you shall be saved. Importantly, this is not a call to passivity, but a call to wait upon the Lord. In fact, as we will see in verse 22, while waiting upon the Lord, there is actually much work to be done. God is saying to Judah, stop and desist. One of the things that I see in our society is that even as they see the storm clouds rising in their own lives, even as they see the storm clouds rising around our nation, they do not turn to God, but they turn to Egypt. Yeah, amen. In fact, if I might be so bold as to say, our society would spend any sum of money on carnal health rather than to come through those doors. They'll go to us. Uh, I love, listen, I want, when I say this, I want you to understand my heart. They'll go to marriage counselors for help rather than the Word of God. Rather than to come to the pastor. And I'm, I'm all for saving marriages. Aren't we all? Amen. Their children 
And I flew with men that had children that were strung out on drugs. And they will spend any amount of money to get those kids dried out or whatever you want to call it. They'll send them to rehabs and spend literally thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars, but will not listen to the wisdom of the Holy Scriptures. They won't bow their knees to the King of Heaven and ask for help. Amen. They would rather go to Egypt. <laughs> they would rather have the carnal, whatever the carnal is, yeah. than the things of the Spirit. Amen. Point three, a call to repentance. God's plan for Judah, okay, this is going to be a little hard, but God's plan for Judah, please, I've got 17 minutes. I'm going to try to wrap this thing up. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't think I'd be talking more than five, right? God's plan includes a time of discipline and instruction and a time of repentance, very much similar to what a parent would administer to a wayward child. Point A. God expects an attentive ear. Verse 20 says, And though the Lord gives you the bread of adversity and the water of affliction. How about that? Some bread and water, right? That sounds like they're going to prison almost, right? Doesn't it? The bread of adversity and the water of affliction. God is saying, listen, I've got a plan for you, but I'm going to take you to the woodshed first. We don't want to hear that, do we? We don't want to. We don't want to hear God say, "But you, you know what? You've been out there and you've been sowing wild oats, and I want you to come back to me." But He's saying, "You know what? There's going to be some tough times ahead for you. There's going to be some things that you're going to have to get over. There's going to be some things you're going to have to work through." And He was telling that to Judah. <laughs> Yet your teachers will not be moved into a corner anymore, but your eyes shall see your teachers. To me, teachers speaks of the seers and prophets God has given them. They are going to have guidance as they go through this difficult time of adversity and affliction. He is not leaving them alone. And so today, I would say that to America. We have sown a lot of wild oats. And I don't know what the future holds for us as a nation. But I can tell you this. That if we will turn back to God, no matter what the bread and water of our existence might be in the future, if we will turn back, our teachers will not be moved into a corner anymore, but our eyes shall see our teachers. They will be there to guide us through this difficult time if we will turn back. Verse 21 says, and let me re-emphasize this, God expects an attentive ear. Your, verse 21 says, Your ears shall hear a word behind you saying, This is the way walk in it. Whenever you turn to the right hand or whenever you turn to the left. 
God expects us to have an attentive ear and listen. Part B, God expects repentance. Verse 22 says, You will also defile, you will also defile the covering of your images of silver and the ornament of your molded images of gold. You will throw them away as an unclean thing. You will say to them, Get away. God has to deal with them as the immature children they currently are. He has to bring them back into right relationship by insisting they do the elementary works of repentance again. They must admit their sin. They must confess and turn away from it, which is repent. Confession, there's two parts to repentance. And, and I want to key on this today because I'm telling you, a lot of preaching does not include repentance. There's a lot of people that want to be saved. Now let me tell you something. I, that, you know, I said I wanted to know, I want to understand the nuts and bolts of what we believe. And one of the things is salvation. And it seems so simple. But let me tell you something. There is a lot to salvation. And one of the things is when there's two verses, Matthew 3, 1 and 2, and Roxy does not have those. I added those later. Matthew 3, 1 and 2. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Matthew 4.17 says, From that time, Jesus began, Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And let me tell you something. When we talk to people, we need to present the whole gospel. And one of the things is people have to know they're lost. You know, when Jesus began to teach, He would say, the law says this, but I say this. The law says you shall not commit adultery. Jesus said, I say if you look upon a woman in your heart to commit adultery, you've already done it. He amped it up. He said, listen, I want you to know you're lost. I want you to know the condition of your heart. And so today when we preach, we must preach the truth and we must let anyone that will listen know that without Christ, we are lost. We are lost. The second part of that is Jesus and John preached repentance. They must admit their sin. When they come down to this altar to be saved, they must admit their sin. That is part. I don't understand it. I'm I'm not starting a new religion. Brother Charlie might have to correct me after this is over, but I'm telling you, 
I believe that there is a way that we all must come to God. We must all come to the knowledge of salvation, right? Knowledge of salvation. And part of that is to realize we're lost. Yeah. And then the second part of that is we must confess our sins. Yeah. One of the things, if I can just hold on that for just a minute, I want you to know that one of the things that was missing in my prayer life was confession. And I, I, I just appreciate, you guys have probably heard of him, a guy named Yongi Cho, right? Head of the largest church in the world. And he says, you know, I get up in the morning, and I, I, one of the previous speakers talked about this in a way. He says, I have to, he says, and he, and he lists all of the things he had to do that day. And he says, but I have to spend three or four or five hours in prayer before I begin my day. Amen. If the man, if the pastor of the largest church in the world has to spend three or four or five hours of his day praying, oughtn't I also to pray? Even if I have a small flock, oughtn't I to pray? And one of the things he teaches is how to pray. And one of the things he talks about is he, he, he uses the Old Testament temple, uh, the tabernacle, as uh, an example of prayer. And one of the things that you do at the beginning of going into that tabernacle is the priest would wash. And so today, when we go into the presence of God, when we begin to pray, we ought to confess our sins. And one of the things, when I began to confess my sins, he said, Jerry, well, do you sin all the time? I mean, come on, are you just, are you just a basket case? <laughs> well, well, no, I don't sin all the time. But do you know that I break the first commandment all the time? Thou shalt have no other God before me. Do you know that I'm idolatrous? Do you know that there's many times I get up and I want to be my own boss? I want to be my own God. I want to do what I want to do. And I'm saying, Lord, I want to be the God of my life. So I am adulterous. So one of the very first things I do is I confess that every day. I say, Lord, forgive me. Forgive me when I do that. And I go through those Ten Commandments. And you say, Jerry, do you, do you, just, do you just spend your time breaking the Ten Commandments? Well, I don't want to. But you know what? It says in there, don't covet. You know, sometimes I'm, I'm walking down the road and I see a big house and it's got all of these great things and, and I think, you know, man, I'd love to have that house. <laughs> you know what? That's coveting. Right. So when I get to, to number eight on the list or whatever commandment that is, I say, Lord, forgive me for coveting. So I... I confess my sins and I repent of them. And I say, God, please help me. Please help me to start out the day right. Please help me to get my thinking right. Amen. And so, i um, got five minutes. <laughs> wow, five. I love to preach. I love to talk about the Lord. Yeah. I love to hear you guys talk about the Lord. Yeah. Alright, so let's keep going. And then part four is this promised 
blessings for obedience. God offers mercy and grace and a listening ear if they will return to him. Verse 18 says, therefore, the Lord will wait. What? The Lord will wait that he may be gracious to you. Do you see that in verse 18? That he may be gracious to you. And therefore, he will be exalted that he may have mercy on you. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are those who wait for him. How do you wait for him? I contend one of the best ways to wait for him is on your knees in your prayer closet. Right? Everything else can wait. Let's go to God. Let's wait for him. God's proffered blessing. Then he will give the rain for your seed with which you sow the ground and bread of the increase of the earth. It will be fat and plentiful. And that day your cattle will feed in large pastures, brother Seth. (laughs) Likewise, the oxen and the young donkeys that work the ground will eat cured fodder which has been winnowed with the shovel and fan. Everything is blessed, even the donkeys. There will be on every high mountain and on every high hill rivers and streams of waters in the day of the great slaughter when the towers fall. God says, I'm still going to provide for you water. Mm -hmm. Verse 26 says, Moreover, the light of the moon will be as the light of the sun. And the light of the sun will be sevenfold as the light of seven days in the day that the Lord binds up the bruise of his people and heals the stroke of their wound. God offers a blessing to us if we will return to him. Amen. And he offers it to America. Amen. In conclusion, we live in a time of apostasy. Worldwide, there is a great reluctance to hear the wisdom of God's seers and the prophetic warnings of the Holy Scriptures. We also live in a time when mankind would rather spend any sum on carnal health, our version of Egypt, rather than turn to the life-changing and spiritual healing of the Word of God. We live in a time when we cling to our idols. We worship ourselves. Our idols go by many names, but three common ones are self-indulgent pleasure, unyielding, unruly independence, an unfettered pursuit of financial success and the objects it can buy. Can I say that again? We live in a time when we cling to our idols. We worship ourselves. Our idols go by many names, but three common ones are 
are our self-indulgent pleasures. Is that not a picture of America? Unyielding, unruly independence. We don't want anyone telling us what to do. Not even our pastors. Not even those that God has put in authority over us. An unfettered pursuit of financial success and the objects it can buy. God, through the atoning sacrifice of His sinless Son, calls to us to deface our idols and throw them out. We must confess and repent of our sins and self-destructive ways. 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Finally, like the people of this, finally for the second time, right? So you know I'm there. <laughs> finally, like the people of Judah, God offers to us blessings almost beyond our imagination if we will return to Him and wait for Him. Psalms 37.9 says, For evildoers shall be cut off, but those that wait upon the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. Isaiah 40.31 says, But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. And they shall walk and not faint. Amen. Proverbs 14.12 rightly says, There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. Today the lesson of Isaiah 30 is presented to us. Will we choose our way or will we choose God's way? Will we search for earthly help or will we return and wait for the Lord? Finally, verse 21 whispers through thousands of years to us. It says, Your eyes shall hear, no, your ears, your ears shall hear a word behind you saying, This is the way walk in it. Whenever you turn to the right hand or whenever you turn to the left. Will we hear the correcting voice of God's Holy Spirit? Will we listen? Amen. Amen. Amen.